Praise the Lord. Sing to the Lord a new song and His praise in the assembly of saints. Let Israel rejoice in their Maker. Let the children of Zion be joyful in their King. Let them praise His name with the dance. Let them sing praises to Him with the timbrel and harp. For the Lord takes pleasure in His people. He will beautify the humble with salvation. Let the saints be joyful in glory. Let them sing aloud on their beds. Let the high praises of God be in their mouth and a two-edged sword in their hand to execute vengeance on the nations and punishments on the people, to bind their kings with chains and their nobles with fetters of iron, to execute on them the written judgment. This honor have all his saints. Praise the Lord. Let us turn now in our pew Bibles for the reading of the Word of God. Our Old Testament reading today, Jonah chapter 1, page 774. So if you would turn there, this is the great beginning of the story of Jonah. Page 774, chapter 1. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it. For their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. He paid the fare and went on board to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid. And each cried out to his God, and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship, and had laid down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation, and where do you come from? What is your country, and of what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord, because he had told them. Then they said to him, What shall we do to you, that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. He said to them, Pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they could not. For the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not on us innocent blood for you. O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. And so is the reading of the word of God. Let's
now lift up our voices together as one, as the church has done throughout history. Now if we want to turn to page 839 in your pew Bible, we will be reading our next section in the Gospel of Mark, Mark 4, 35 through 41. We just finished reading about the parables and and now we come to the great storm section, one of the two great storm sections in the Gospel of Mark. So let's hear the Word of God, Mark 4, 35. On that day, when evening had come, he said to them, Let us go across to the other side, and leaving the crowd, they took him with them in their boat, just as he was. And other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. He said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and sea obey him? So says the word of the Lord. We praise you, Father, for this your word. Apply it to our hearts that we would glorify you and bless one another through it. In your Son's name. Amen. So, we've been going through Mark in the first Four chapters have been <coughs> filled with miracles and all sorts of things. And we've just finished up with the parables. So we must understand that God never promised us, as we go into this next section, that we will be from, from tribulations and, and, and troubles. And we see that truth all, all throughout Scripture from the very beginning to the very end. In fact, not only does God not promise us that we'll be free from tribulation, and oftentimes he, he leads us straight into the lion's den. Why does he do this? For what purpose does God have to do this? Well, I think this story may help us find that out. Yeah. So we look at verse 35. And just after Jesus has been faithfully preaching for probably hours to the crowds and parables, and he's teaching in parables once again because he's been largely rejected by the leadership and even by, by his family. And he's teaching them in parables so that if they really want to know him, they will come and talk to him. This kind of separates the, the wheat from the chaff, so to speak. He is preaching the word to them, and they can know it, but they've got to come to him. And so with this new way of, of preaching, 
He is now leaving them and he's heading over to the other side of the lake. And this is not largely a, a Jewish section in that time. As we'll, as we'll read next time, you know, there's, there's herds of swine all over the place and such. And we know that's, that's just not something you would find in a Jewish area. So Jesus tells his disciples, all right, we're going to leave here and we're going to go over to this more Gentile area. And, and this would have probably made them happy for the time being. They've been busy all day hanging out with Jesus as he is teaching the crowds and teaching them the deep things of the kingdom of God. And so there, quite a few of them are fishermen. They're, they're at home on the, on the water, so they're probably pretty happy to be able to shove off into the water uh, in the evening, as Mark tells us. Um, and, and they're probably pretty relaxed and able to, to rest, not knowing what's, what's coming up. And, and we can kind of figure out from this, being that these, these fishermen would kind of understand uh, you know, if there were clouds on the horizon and such, that uh, uh, well, this isn't a good time to to go out. It's 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 a clear it's a clear evening, nothing going on, very nice, and they've got no reason to believe that they're not just going to get in their boat uh, with this apparently small armada of other boats with them and just go across to the other side of the lake and and just kind of get some get some rest along the way. So they they leave the crowd with Jesus and their small fleet of boats and, and they're on their way. And the, the lake of uh, uh, the Sea of Galilee here is, is in a, a strange geographical graphical predicament. It's got high cliffs and mountains all the way around it and storms just come out of nowhere. Uh, and so that's, that's what we see happening. Um, a great windstorm arose. Notice it's Accident that's the windstorm. Probably not rain involved with the storm, just high, high winds. And the waves were breaking into the boat, so the boat was already filling. So these are the kinds of storms that the, the sailors, the fishermen hated, because you could not tell they were coming. They just appeared out of nowhere. Over the over the cliffs, over the well, one of the things I read probably over the Golan Heights, which is, I believe, border Syria, and the storm just starts battering them. The, the the boat starts filling up with water. It's it's getting pretty serious. It's getting desperate. Even the experienced sailors, Peter and, and John and Andrew and. Uh, they're upset. They're frightened. They don't know what to do. And they're, they're clearly focused on everything going on around them, which is kind of understandable, I think. Can't say that I wouldn't be a little bit focused on, on the storm around me either. And so they look down into the stern and they just can't believe what they're seeing. In the midst of, I suppose, a hurricane-type storm, there is Christ sleeping on a pillow. <clears throat> That's just 
hard to hard to even believe that someone could sleep through that. But this is the Lord of heaven and earth who's had a busy, busy several hours teaching and preaching to thousands and thousands of people and, and, and he needed a break. He needed a rest just as much as they did. And he is napping in the stern of the boat. Which should remind us of the Old Testament scripture reading we have with, with Jonah and, and the storm going on as he was trying to flee God on his way to Tarshish and God brought up a great storm and and where was where was Jonah? In the rat infested bowels of the ship sleeping. You know. It's just incredible that, that someone could, could do that, but uh, it, it, you know what Jesus is doing here does not have I mean it's got precedent in the Old Testament. Some people can just sleep through anything. I, I think I probably could. But he is sleeping and this is infuriates the disciples. They say to him, they wake him up, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? It's, they're basically uh, accusing him of, of, you know, why don't you care that we are going to die? They're, they're not happy. You know, they... They want Jesus to do something. They're finally looking to Christ. Which is maybe where they should have should have started. So Jesus stands up. And he rebukes the wind. I don't know if he actually said I rebuke you wind or some other language, but he, he rebukes the wind and he and he calms the waves. He calms the sea. It has the picture of of muzzling is the idea. So the sea can't do anything, just as when we muzzle a dog. And the dog can't bark, the dog can't eat. The dog can't bite. It is completely under our control like a, like a horse with a bit in its mouth as James talks about. That huge 800 pound animal just a little bit in its mouth and you can control it. And Jesus is in total control of the sea. And he has muzzled the sea. It is calm. Completely calm. It went from a raging hurricane to a calm, placid sea. Only God can do this. Only God can stop such a destructive storm. And so we might ask, why Why are they there? You know, Jesus is the God-man. You know, he clearly used his Powers to stop the storm. Why did he even bring them in to the middle of the sea if he knew this was going to happen? You know, what what is God's purpose? 
And we see throughout scriptures that, that we're going to have troubles. We're going to be thrown into the lion's den. We're going to have people lie about us and be thrown into prison like Joseph. Might be thrown into the fiery furnace. And God knows this. But still, He allows us to go through these things. And, and, and in our my life, I've never gone through anything quite like that. But, but some of you have gone through things like this, whether it be in war or, or cancer or something else, some other destructive evil brought about by the sin that has entered into the world. And God allows this to happen. And why does He do this? What does God promise us from the very beginning of Scripture? I am with you. I will be with you. From Genesis to the book of Daniel to the Great Commission to Revelation, God promises to be with us. Now finally, when we get to the book of Revelation, it is going to be in a bed of roses. It's going to be amazing beyond our compare. God will be with us in a way that He hints at in this world where we go through these circumstances of life that are troubling and difficult, deadly even, and yet He is there with us even in this world, comforting us. Paul in, in, in 2 Corinthians 12 speaks about how He glories in all of these tribulations and sufferings. And I don't know if I'm at the point in my faith where I glory in my sufferings. Christ is working on me in that. And I think there are probably some of you that do glory in your sufferings and are great saints of God that have gone through things that can't even imagine. But the promise that Christ gives us is not that everything's going to be perfect. We are going to die. Right? One day we are all going to give off our mortal coils. We will be absent from the body and present with the Lord. But what is the promise that we hold on to? That Christ is with us. And He has suffered in a way we can never even imagine. Even the worst suffering that's ever occurred on this earth pales to what to what Christ did. So we look to Christ. We keep our eyes on Christ. And that is the mistake of the disciples here. They turn to Christ as a last resort, as we often do. And yet Jesus, in His grace, He stands up and He, he calms the storm. Everything is perfect on the water. And we have a picture here as well of uh, just as we saw Jesus reflected in, in Jonah 
being asleep, even more we see a picture here of the new Israel of God. Jesus and his twelve disciples heading over the Sea of Galilee to a Gentile land, leaving leaving Judea, Galilee, and heading over. I can't say the name, so I'm going to try it. But heading over to the... Get an heiress. I did try it. and That wasn't too bad. Um, to where the Gentiles are living. And he's taking his people, just as Moses took the people out of Moses according to God's power, approached the Red Sea and crossed through the Red Sea as on dry ground. Isaiah reminds us, Isaiah 51.10, Are you not the one who dried up the sea, the waters of the great deep, that made the depths of the sea a road for the redeemed to cross over? And so Christ is is giving us a picture of that as well, crossing over the, the Sea of Galilee, and in the midst of what looks like certain doom, He calms the sea. So, His people of God can cross over to the other side. And they will impact the Gentiles for the kingdom of God. (laughs) So Jesus rebukes the disciples now. It must have stung Jesus to hear them question his, his love for them, in effect. Why are you letting us die? I'm not, I'm not sure how long the ministry has gone on here. You know, we know it was a three-year ministry altogether with Jesus and his disciples. But he'd been with them quite a while already. And he had shown them his great power. He had healed Peter's mother of, of a deadly illness and 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 he had confided in them that yes, many people aren't going to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but but I'm going to give you the secrets. You are my my small band. You are the new Israel of God. And I'm going to let you in on the secrets of the kingdom of God and, and, and all those who would want to know as well. And so to hear them say to him, What's your, why are you letting us die? It had to be difficult for Christ to hear that. And why are they so lacking in faith? Why can't they believe that you know he who who is healing people of illnesses and 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 casting out demons the most powerful thing they could probably see from day to day on earth is these demons that would possess people and and Jesus just I mean it was no problem he just kicked them to the curb and yet they they didn't believe him when he said they're going over to the other side because he told them they're going over to the other side now Jesus knew the day of his death. They didn't necessarily know that. He hadn't even been speaking of his uh, death and resurrection that we know of up to this point. But Jesus knew the day of his death and he knew it wasn't that day. 
They should have trusted in Christ. That he was going to lead them from one side to the other. That he was who he said he was. He was the Son of Man. I mean, what more did he have to do to convince them? And he had told them in the parables that all about the lamp and the lights and and that things were going to be revealed to them. The deep things of God. And he is here revealing himself even more. And it's interesting that You know, Satan and the demons figured out who Jesus was at his, at his baptism, right? Jesus got baptized. The Holy Spirit lighted on him like a dove and God the Father spoke from heaven. And then when uh, basically he was sent out to minister by God the Father, and where does he go? The Holy Spirit leads him into the wilderness to battle with Satan for 40 days and 40 nights. Uh, he kicked Satan to the curb. Um, and, and, and you know the, the demons and Satan knew that who he was at that point. And I think we can say that the Pharisees and the scribes, excuse me, had probably figured this out when Jesus healed the paralytic. Jesus tells them, so that you know that the Son of Man has the power to forgive sins. I say, take up your mat and walk. They understood the implications of someone able to forgive sins and and pro, and do miracles like that. And in fact, uh, not shortly thereafter, he admit, yeah, we know you're doing miracles, but you know, it's because you're Satan's brother or whatever it was they were accusing him of. They knew his power. The disciples just hadn't quite gotten there yet. And, you know, I hear folks say a lot of times that, you know, well, we're, we're not theologians. And so you could maybe say the scribes or the, of the disciples, you know, they wouldn't understand this about the healing and, and, and the forgiveness of sins and all that, because, you know, they're not theologians. But, you know, that's just... They should have known. They should have known. We're all theologians. All of us who love Christ have to grow in our knowledge of Christ. All theology is is Knowledge of God. And just as as my friend said the other day that uh, when he started dating his wife, he didn't like to go to movies even though they love movies because he wanted to learn about her. He wanted to understand her. You can't do that when you're sitting in a dark theater watching a movie for two hours. So they would go to lunch and, or supper or whatever. They would take walks. They would go do things where they could learn about each other. So we spend... Years learning about our spouses. And then we start watching movies, not before we get married. But, you know, we spend so much time learning about them and growing to know them, and we, and we love that, we hunger for that. How much more for Christ, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who we will be with for eternity. And it's, it's beautiful that we, we go through the catechism every week because that's just little snippets and doses of theology here and here. Here and there we, we do know a lot of theology and it is wonderful that we grow in our knowledge of Christ so we can recognize Him, what He's doing, and we can grow 
in our faith as the Spirit works as we grow in our knowledge of Him. And I think what is also wonderful to, to consider in this story is as much as it's a, a rebuke of the disciples for kind of being dense, um, and, and thus, I mean, I, I speak for myself. I'm, this is what I do a lot of times in these circumstances, act just like the disciples. Yet we'll, we'll have another storm story in a few chapters. And we do see a disciple who literally steps out in faith, who grows in his faith from this time until then, as imperfect as it was, as he sees Jesus walking on the water in the next storm story. So we have that hope that we we could see Peter grow in his faith. We, likewise, have that hope as we seek the will of God through the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. We need to learn that we go through these tribulations so that God can refine us as gold in the fire. Burning off that dross giving us deep roots in Christ as we depend and rest in Him and trust in Him through the most difficult of situations in our lives. It anchors us in what really matters. We go through these difficult things for the glory of God and so that we grow in Him. And we just must remember that Jesus is God Almighty. His awesome and great power and healing and and driving out demons and over nature should cause us to have great faith in Him. These great storms, whether it's an actual storm or or just horrific things going on in our lives should ultimately cause us to look to Christ and look to Him right away. To drop to our knees. Figuratively or just we might be in our car when something horrible happens. And we just pray to Him. We don't turn away. He is our calm in the midst of the storm. All through the Psalms you read about one of the prevailing themes in the Psalms is how the psalmist can sleep because he knows God is looking after him. And really, God never sleeps. Christ is our calm in the midst of the storm. He is our shepherd whose rod and our staff comforts us in the valley of the shadow of death. Fear not. Have faith in Christ.
Amen. We're grateful, Father, that You do not waste our our struggles and our tribulations, but that You use them to grow us and to bless us so that we can bless others and glorify You. Be with us as we continue to worship You in spirit and in truth. Pray this in Your Son's holy and lovely name. Amen.